Welcome, everybody, again, one more time to Encounter Church. If you're just joining us, my name is uh, Dirk, preaching pastor here at Encounter. And we are in part three of this four-part series called Asking for and if you're just joining us, what this series is all about is asking those questions that, that maybe you don't know the answers to, maybe you're embarrassed to ask, maybe you feel like you should know the answers to already, and, and so you don't want to ask, so we got you covered. We are asking for you. We're asking for a friend, and maybe that friend is you. Uh, today is a big, it's a big topic on the agenda for this morning in part three. In fact, uh, there was a recent poll among church-going Christians, believers, that said, hey, what's one question that you would love to know what the answer for? And the question, the poll came back as this. The, the question that people wanted to know is how do I forgive? Notice the way that it's worded, because I appreciate that nuance so much. It's not, should I forgive? It's not, it's not, how many times should I forgive? The question is, I understand, I know I should forgive. How? Like, I get that I need to forgive. I mean, Jesus Christ, you know, the, the God at the center of our faith, hangs on a cross dying, and he has the capacity in those last few moments to pray over his executioners, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, guys. They don't know the full extent of what's happening. Forgive them. We understand that if we're going to pattern our lives around his, this isn't a question of whether I should forgive. This is a question of how because a little bit of me telling you, hey, church, you really ought to forgive one another. It's a little bit like saying, hey, why don't you go ahead and grow another inch? I think you'd love it. And it's like, yeah, me too, man. How? Like, how's that going to happen, right? I want to I know. How do I forgive? There's maybe two Two camps here that like represented in the morning. You can maybe put yourself in one or the other uh, of this difficulty of forgiveness. N number one, the first camp that we're going to take a look at this morning is this like, hey, listen, I want to forgive at times, but, but just like the idea of allowing somebody else to like get off the hook is too much for me. Like forgiveness is all well and good. I know I should, except like I don't want to surrender my right to get even or to like hold this thing over somebody. And so some of you are coming here today and you're like, listen, listen, forgiveness is great. It's just, I'm not ready to let go because it somehow, it somehow lessens the magnitude of the offense from the offender if I just ignore it or forgive it. And we're going to get into that. The, the other category, the other kind of group that's maybe represented in the resistance to this forgiveness is people that say like, I want to, I just don't know how. I want to forgive. I want to put this thing behind me so desperately bad. It's just that every time I think about it, or every time I see her or him, or every time I go there, like it all comes flooding back to me. I want to be done with this thing so bad. I just don't know how. Some of you, I'll give you an example, are, are like the, the vacuum people in your house, okay? This is going to get weird, but stick with me. Some of you, some of you are like, I love like the very, the lines have to be exactly like in straight lines, and you're like super anal about like getting everything exactly right, that type A, almost to the level of like obsessive compulsion. This is what it has to be. I'm not, okay? I got, one of the, I got one of those robot vacuums, you know what I'm talking about? And I woke up in the morning and I thought, sweet, house is vacuumed, I love this. And my wife looks at it and the lines are just like, that thing just goes wherever it wants. And she's like, eh, no. <laughs> 
And I said, honey, it's art. It's abstract. Like, you don't get it, but you'll appreciate it someday. Right? But okay, when you're vacuuming, this is what happens. You're vacuuming, you're doing the thing, and you hear that rattling sound. You know, like something just like got caught up in there and you like pull it back. You look and I go, oh, that didn't work. And, and there on the ground is, is a Florio. A Florio is not a Cheerio because Cheerios are edible and that's definitely not. So it's been on the ground for who knows how long. And so you like, you take the vacuum, and you kind of like push at it for a little. Maybe it pushes it out of the way. Maybe it sucks it up for a minute. It rattles around there. You pull the vacuum back. It's the Florio still intact on the ground. So what do you do? If you're like me, you come at it from another angle, and you're like, push it out that way for a little while. I'm like, oh, that didn't work either. You come at it from another angle, you just keep pushing the vacuum at it until like rattles, 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 pull it back, maybe, it, and it didn't suck it up. And so you bend over to the ground, you pick it up, you examine it, and you're like, yep, not edible Florio. You put it back on the ground, right? At least I do. And you keep trying to suck it up. For, for a lot of us, and that's why I don't vacuum anymore. I got the robot. <laughs> For a lot of us, church, a lot of us, the concept of forgiveness is a lot like that vacuuming thing, where it's just like, I want to be done with this. I want it out of my house. I want it out of my heart. And I come at this thing like a hundred different ways. I'll pick it up. I'll look at it. I'll examine it. I'll, I'll hang on to it. And then, I'll, and then I can't help but like put it right back down and then just keep, keep, keep pressing into it, keep vacuuming around it. And I just, whatever I do, I can't get rid of it. And so that's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to ask you, like, is there something, church, is there someone, is there some place that God is asking you today, this morning, to surrender over to him to offer forgiveness? And if you don't, I will give you one right now. It has a lot to do with forgiveness and traffic, which is about like half of the scenarios out there that need to be forgiven or probably have to do with this. So I'll give you an example. It's very, very controversial, and I know I'm going to leave, leave a lot of you. It doesn't have to do with politics. It's not something so mundane and get along as politics. It has something to do with something infinitely more controversial. It is the traffic zipper method. Do you know what I'm talking about? A couple of you, right? This is, this is a hotly debated topic. Okay, so in case you don't know, it's when the two lanes of traffic on a highway, they merge into one. Okay, and the Michigan Department of Transportation, MDOT, has issued a release that said this is what you should do in that scenario. Don't just get over right away and leave a miles long uh, lane of cars. You should like pull right up to where the lanes, and then you should zipper one at a time into, you can see like which side of this thing I'm on. Uh, and, and you pull into traffic like one after another, and you, and you zipper right in. It creates half the length of car backup. It's easier, it's safer, it's on average faster for everybody. Okay, so here's the scenario. Last week, yeah, I'm that guy. Last week, it may have had to do with, I was 20 minutes late, and I wanted to save some time, but it doesn't matter. I'm on, I'm on M6. I'm flying down the highway, right? Lane closed as a head, because M6 is always closed in the summertime down to one lane. You should know that in case you're visiting. Um, you, you come down the highway, one lane, the traffic is like backed up at least for a couple miles, right? GPS is all red. Oh man, here we go. Okay, but there's this whole lane that's open. So I'm like, you know what? I'm a responsible citizen who votes, pays taxes, and zippers at the right time. <laughs> I get to the front, and I think, time to zipper. Except for this big truck doesn't want to let me in. All right? Now, we're doing this, like, four-mile-an-hour game of chicken as, <laughs> as I'm, like, inching over, okay? Except, and he's like, nope, he, he's 
truck body language is like, I am not going to let you in. It's this like big rig thing. Deal. I'm in my little car and I'm thinking, oh man, he's never going to let me. He's just going to squish me. That's what's going to happen. Except I've got a secret weapon. And you should know this in case you're ever next to me and I'm trying to zipper. I happen to know that that truck, I know truck people. Truck people love their trucks. And I get that. I would too if I had a nice truck. I don't though. And that's my secret weapon. It's a $50,000 truck next to me that he loves. I'm in a $4,000 paid off Hyundai that I care very little about. I won that game of chicken. Behind me, the truck is so angry, he puts it in neutral, revs the gas, right? It just lets me know my kids jump. Of course, I got my kids. It's a teachable moment. <laughs> kids jump. He puts it back in gear, off-roads it next to the highway, right in the grass around me, pulls up next to me, communicates with sign language, <laughs> and then tries to cut in. And what do I do? I let him in because he's zippering. Lesson learned. And now some of you are like, seriously, this guy is supposed to like teach me about God? That's an object lesson. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Right? There's something, there's something that you have to forgive. I'm not, I'm not totally exaggerating when I say a lot of the forgiveness that you have to offer. I'm like thinking of a traffic thing that happened two or three weeks ago, and I'm like, I'm still a little salty about that one. Right? Like, there's probably some forgiveness that needs to happen. Some of you have something that comes up. When I say forgiveness, you're like, yeah, but never, and there's a blank. So here's what's going to happen this morning. I am not, I don't want to be the guy on a stage with a microphone telling you that you have to forgive the person that hurt you for what they did. I don't want to be that guy. I don't know your situation. If I'm that guy, you're just going to stew and you're going to talk about how much I don't know about your unique situation. And guess what? You're totally right. I don't want to be that guy. You don't want me to be that guy that tells you to have to forgive. So what's going to happen? I'm going to talk about the way that Jesus talked about forgiveness. And if you feel walking out of here somewhat convicted over offering somebody forgiveness that you didn't think you and the world would ever offer to forgive. That's maybe not totally from me. That's maybe God. That's maybe the Holy Spirit whispering into your heart, hey, it's time to start opening up. And so if you've got somebody that you're going to see tomorrow at the job site or at the office that has, has talked something behind your back, or has thrown you under the bus, or a friend that has gossiped about you, and you're like, I have to see this person again, I have to live with this person again, I, I have to work with this person again, and there's like this bitterness that you're nursing, and you're hanging on there, and you're going, I do not want to forgive, I want them to just go away. I think that God might be convicting some of you this morning to say it's time. Maybe not to get to this place of total restoration and healing, but it's time to start opening the grip. Maybe there's a marriage betrayal that you've been hanging on to and just keeping as a reservation. And we're going to get to that too. And God is saying like, listen, that's one way to go. Maybe I have another. The way that Jesus framed this, this forgiveness scenario, this question, 
that we're going to ask this morning, I think is one of the most helpful ways of addressing forgiveness that God ever gave us. But first, we're going to address this in terms of a story that Jesus himself told. And then we're going to get that question that frames it so perfectly well. And it doesn't make it easier, but I think it makes it clearer. And that's the big difference. This is the story from Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to pick it up in verse 21. There's Bibles under the chairs in front of you. You can go ahead and follow along that way if you would like. Matthew, starting in verse 21, says that then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive someone who sins against me? And he says, up to seven times, which I love this answer from Peter. He knows growing up the good religious spiritual answer is three times. You have to forgive somebody three times. And he knows after following Jesus for as long as he has, Jesus seemed to be a very compassionate person. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to up that to seven times. But he doesn't really know Jesus very well because he's like missing the point. Jesus isn't just a little extra compassionate. No, no, he's endlessly compassionate. And so Jesus answers, uh, I tell you, not seven times, 77 times. And if you're like, okay, 77 times, I'm somewhere in that neck of the woods already. You're still missing the point. Like if you're keeping track, you're missing the point. That's that's what Jesus is coming at here. And, And he wants to highlight it. Because he's going, no, 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 you're still going to keep track. That's not what this thing is about. It's about something totally, it's an entirely different question to ask. And Jesus says in verse 23, he goes, Therefore, he tells the story time, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Right? So maybe he's getting close to retirement age. The old man in the boardroom is like, I'm stepping away. Lots of people owe me money. It's time to like figure out how much do people owe me. Verse 24, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him, I'm sorry, is that 10,000 bags of gold I'm seeing here? Was brought into him. You know how much 10,000 bags of gold would be worth in today's value? Like if you start doing the calculations on this and start figuring like average weight of a bag of gold, average price in today's value of like gold being traded per ounce, if you start kind of taking into account purity and like the time value of money and inflation, it comes out to right around a million zillion dollars. <laughs> Like, I don't know, and that's not the point. Stop keeping track of everything, Pharisees, right? Like, that's not, that's not it. Jesus is like, it's, it's a lot. In fact, it isn't just a lot. It's like all of it. Like, a, like a 10,000 bags of gold would have probably exceeded the annual budget of the entire Roman Empire at the time. 10,000 bags of gold. There's skepticism as to whether or not that much gold was even in circulation at the time. It's not just a lot. It's not just a big debt. It's not just a lot of gold. It's like all of it. And so Jesus is telling the story, and the guy's like, listen, this is how much you are in the hole. What are you going to do about this? And the first thing, church, that we have to know about the debt is Jesus is talking about bags of gold. He's not talking about bags of gold. Right? And his disciples know that too, because there isn't that much gold around. And so Jesus is going, listen, Peter and church today, you're asking this question, how do I forgive? You're asking this question that essentially has to do, if you're a visual person, this may help, you're asking a horizontal question, this question that has to do with your brothers and sisters, other people around you, other people that you bump into hurt and they hurt you. You're asking this horizontal question, and Jesus begins with a statement about a vertical relationship. 
So Jesus is subtly implying, isn't he, that before we talk about this horizontal thing, we have to get right in this vertical relationship. And so he tells the story and he's going, let's say there's a guy who owes, not, knows not just some gold, but all the gold. And the reason why he can owe all the gold and probably even more so is because we're not talking about gold. The reason why he can have that kind of a debt, even though it's not humanly possible, it spiritually is. Because every time that this servant does something wrong, every time we as a, as a, as a Jesus follower try to follow after him, and every time we sin, we, we disobey, we disrespect, and we dishonor God the creator. And every time we disobey, disrespect, and dishonor, it's like we rob him of some of his rightly deserved honor. And we like take God and we, and we dishonor him, right? We take him, we take God down a peg, down a notch. And when I disrespect, when I sin and when I dishonor my God, it's almost like I'm putting God beneath me. And you as a church, you don't want to worship a God. You didn't come to experience the God who is beneath me. And so God, because of his honor, he is not just going to allow this to continue. He's not just going to allow himself to be trod upon and the God of the universe is somehow less than this guy on a stage somewhere. He's not going to let that happen. And so his honor dictates something must happen, but his love says, I'm not going to make him, I'm not going to make you pay for it. I can't do that. And so what do I do? Enter Jesus Christ. Enter the, the payer of debt. The one who says, your honor is at stake, and I will find a way to pay the debt, to, to experience that punishment so that, God, you can have your honor and respect back. Except for because of your love, it's not going to fall on them or him or her. Your love is going to fall, it's going to fall on me so that this honor and this love can no longer be in conflict but actually in harmony together as Jesus suffers the punishment for our sin on our behalf. That's the vertical relationship that's going on here. And that's the story that Jesus tells as he continues it on. He says that this, since the man was not able to pay, which one of us could have, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. That was his right. He could do that. And so the servant, he fell on his knees before him and he says, be patient, be, be patient with me and I'll pay back everything. 2,500 lifetimes is how long it would take on an average day's wage to pay it back. Be patient with me. It's a joke. But then something unexpected happens. Verse 27, everybody in the boardroom turns to the old man. As he gets ready to pronounce his judgment, he takes that debt, he looks it over in verse 27. The, master's, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. A couple things about that as it relates to forgiveness, especially if you're in that first category. If you're in that first category of saying, listen, I don't want to surrender my right to get even. I don't want to surrender my sense of justice over. I want him to pay. I don't want to let them off the hook and get away with it that easily. Notice something in the story of the debt getting paid and also just how the world works today. The debt 
still had to get paid. It's not just like it disappeared. The servant didn't have to pay it, but the master then did. The money was still owed. And now the master in the story, he essentially just eats it, right? He essentially just takes it and says, okay, you don't have to pay for it. I'll cover it for you. It's justice. It's just not the kind of justice we would expect. If you're in that first group of people that says, I don't want somebody to get off the hook that easily, you, in all, in all fairness and all graciousness, I want to suggest to you that maybe you have an underdeveloped theology of justice because you would rather have your sense of justice than God's sense of justice. If you want somebody to get off the hook and God says, no, 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 we're not talking about anybody getting off the hook. We're not talking about devaluing the harm or the impact or the wrong done at all. I'm simply just asking you to let me handle it instead of you. And so it's like this, this forgiveness then isn't this sense of like, well, I guess they just get away with it. It's like, no, God, your way, not mine. You got this, not me. And I'll tell you what that does. Anne Lamont says uh, in one of her books, she writes about this and she goes, forgiveness, (laughs) forgiveness is freedom. Unforgiveness, unforgiveness, she writes, unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and just waiting for that rat to die. But forgiveness is letting God's sense of justice reign so we can be free. And this man in the story, this servant, he he gets to experience freedom. I I mean, I don't know how long he's been carrying around this this debt hanging over his head, this massive, massive debt. I don't know how long he's been living under this essentially death sentence where they're going to take his family away, take his life, they're going to take everything from, I don't know how long he's been going, but, but like, let's pretend it's a while to rack up that kind of debt. And he's been carrying this thing around. And for the first time, it's crinkled up, it's set down, and he gets to walk. No, he gets to float out of there just free for the first time ever. But he didn't float. He walked with his head down and his shoulders sagged. He dragged his feet out. And I know that, and you know that, because of what he does in those next few moments. Verse 28, when that servant walked out, not floated, he found one of his servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. You've got to be kidding. 50 bucks. Uh, we all went out for dinner. You, didn't, you left your wallet at home. We said we were going to split the bill. You're going to Venmo me later. You never Venmoed me later. He finds this guy, 50 bucks. I mean, it's like nothing. 50 bucks. And he grabs him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees. This should sound familiar. And begs him, please be patient with me and I'll pay back everything. At at most, you'll have to wait until payday. But but if you give me my phone, I'll I'll send the money right now. Just be patient. Just give me a moment. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. 
I canceled all of the debt of yours because you, you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he had owed. He pulls it out of the garbage, gets the debt, and says, fine, it's back. And you got the point, right? I mean, Jesus doesn't want you to miss the point. He adds a PS, verse 35. Oh, and by the way, this is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive a brother or sister from your heart. Does that not just terrify you? Jesus didn't want you or I to miss the point. Listen, unless you forgive others, my heavenly father will not forgive you. It's in the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Is this what God is going to do? I know that I've done, acted wrongly. I know that I've hurt people. I want to believe that my vertical relationship with God is great. My horizontal relationship with some people has room for improvement. Is God going to call me before him and say, guess what? Calling it in. The whole mountain, Dirk. The whole thing, church. Here's the thing. John Ortberg writes about this. And he says it's called the principle of spiritual unity. The principle of spiritual unity says this, that you cannot have, you cannot maintain one posture vertically towards God, an entirely different posture towards others. The principle of spiritual unity says that it's not just that you shouldn't hold one posture towards God, entirely different, that you cannot. And some of us, we kind of get this. We understand that principle anytime a bad apology comes out that we see. Like we get that unity every time. It was about a year ago, a guilty celebrity did something wrong and was caught for it. And so he issued an apology. And he says, I apologize for what happened. Okay, we're off to a decent start. Although I don't remember ever doing it. And I want to say that doesn't represent who I really am. And you're going, oh, but it does. Oh, but it does because of the principle of spiritual unity. That you can't just act one way over here an entirely different way over here and then pretend like you're just this and never this. It might not reflect who you are completely, but it at least in some ways reflects who you are sometimes, in some way, and you at least have to own that for the apology to make any sense at all. Otherwise, there's no unity behind it all. The principle of, of spiritual unity, right, says we can't maintain. Not that we shouldn't, it's that we can't. Said another way, when Jesus tells this story, and this is the question anytime where anybody is asking, like, how do I forgive? The question is this. What kind of world do you want to live in? 
Because Jesus starts this thing and he goes, listen, I want to tell you, and the clue is the, the very first line starting the story. Jesus is making up this story. He's telling it to drive home a point, And he's going, in this world that I'm telling you about, let's call it the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes he calls it the kingdom of God. Sometimes he just calls it the kingdom. Make no mistake, it's an entirely different world. And we know that it's a different world because we live by this world where you harm me, I harm you. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You help me, I help you. You punch me, watch out, right? It's coming back. We live in this world where our debts have to be paid all the time. But Jesus says, you know, there's this whole different world that I'm about. There's this whole different world where, where the Father will cover it. Nobody gets off free, but like we've got this. You're fine. I, I will pay that debt for you. It's just if you're going to live in this vertical right relationship with me, there necessarily has to be a right horizontal relationship with other people, which means, which means, if you want to live in this world, if you want to be forgiven, we have to at least start the process of forgiveness with others. And for some of you with a name or a place that comes up, that is going to be remarkably hard. Because like with that vacuum, you have tried and tried a hundred different ways and there's still the rattling and you can't seem to shake it. The feeling of bitterness, of unforgiveness is still holding out because you've been wronged and you know that to the core of your being. And so I want to offer this, that the forgiveness, that the forgiveness church is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a freedom from it. And so when you offer that forgiveness, not necessarily a right reconciliation with the person, you're not going to be best friends, but at least you're going to surrender that right to get even and say, you know what, God, you pay for it, however you will. And there's this, this process that starts off one way, and we captured it last week. We started down that road and we said, hey, you have heard it, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, you have heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But Jesus says, I tell you to love your enemy and to pray for those who persecute you. If somebody harms you, if somebody hurts you, step number one, and here's the challenge, step number one, just pray for them. Pray for them is step number one. And listen, what this is going to look like, at least sometimes this is what it looks like for me, and I'm just going to be honest with you. Step number one is praying for somebody. It's like, God, you know them. God, I'm going to, you told me I got to pray for them. I'm going to pray for them. God, may they stub their toe today in the name of Jesus. Amen. God, may, God, whenever they're picking up their kid's scooter, have that metal thing slam around in their shin every time. Yeah, I know, I know. That's total depravity right here on display right? But eventually, eventually, God, and I don't even want to use any words, just God, mm, mm, you, mm, you know, mm. God, don't totally hate them. God, you know, you know how much they need you, but God bless them. Take care of their kids at least. Maybe the wife. God, bless them. And if you're in your seat right now, and if you're like, oh, I'm 
so uncomfortable with this. And if you're, and you're just like sitting back, you're going, ah, I'm glad he's not gonna like ask me to do anything weird right now because I don't, if you're in your seat and they're squirmish about it because you're like, Dirk, that is the most unnatural thing in the world. I'm here to say, yes, it is. There's nothing natural about forgiveness. The most natural thing in the world is to live with the debts being called in. That's what's natural. Forgiveness does not come naturally. Forgiveness is given supernaturally. So that when you sit down and you start to pray, it's the supernatural, miracle-working power of God that is going to bring you to the point to say, you know what? It's yours, not mine. God, may I experience the freedom from all of this instead of the captivity to it any longer. God, take it from me. I'm going to get very real with some of you right now because some of you are in this place or you will be in this place where you will have experienced such tremendous hurt, such tremendous pain, all under the banner of of marriage betrayal or unfaithfulness. And so I I want to talk to you right now and say, listen, listen. You are in such a bad place of hurt right now. You are scouring through the Bible and you're going, yeah, but Jesus says, Jesus says what he did. Jesus says because of what she did. Listen, Jesus says I can be done. I can be out. Jesus said because of what they did, divorce is a biblical option. And I want to tell you, That is the teaching of Jesus, and you are not wrong. Divorce is the biblical option, but so is forgiveness. And it's going to hurt like hell either way for a while. And I just want to ask whatever your hurt, whatever your pain, how many homes could be healed by a father and a son just saying, I forgive you. How many marriages could be saved by a husband or a wife saying, I forgive you? How many friendships could be restored with those three words, I forgive you? Take this. Unforgiveness Holding a grudge, it doesn't make, you, doesn't make you strong. It makes you bitter and captive. Offering forgiveness, it doesn't make you weak. It sets you free. Let's stand up and let's pray together. Gracious God, I believe that there's somebody listening or watching today that needs freedom that you're speaking to right now and you're nudging their heart forward and God it's so hard it's so so hard God we know that we cannot do this naturally forgiveness isn't a natural movement or rhythm unforgiveness is what's natural forgiveness is supernatural God I pray for that person that you're nudging right now, I pray for your supernatural miracle working power to be at work in their heart to stop 
to put down the bottle of rat poison and wishing that rat would die, I pray for your power to be at work to eventually come to that place to say, I forgive you. Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, if you've been challenged with a, with a message to forgive, we have a prayer team set up in back. We would love to pray with you over forgiveness or anything at all in your life.